Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So yeah, I'm Vic, if uh, I haven't met you before, and um, it's my great pleasure to present, really we, we hit the midweek, the midterm of our current series, we're calling it Transmission, um, and we've sort of got this bold thing, this bold claim of picking up our own story where Paul left off, and I, I, I sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to the boldness of that, this sort of sense that we're not going to look at a passage of scripture and just say, you know, that happened back then, isn't it interesting? But somehow we've got to, we've got to engage with in the sense that we could apply it into our own lives literally this week. If we can't do that, then we've missed something of the mark along the way. So we're not reading it in history tonight. And just sort of give you a little bit of a, a package around it. Um, we're also um, putting together what we're calling transmission stories. So every Thursday on our website, um, we're putting out a new story of, um, I'm having a little conversation, like an interview with people in our congregation um, who are sort of doing something of what Paul left off. And so this week on Thursday, we released one, Gareth Owen from our morning congregation, who is the marketing manager of World Vision, and just talking about poverty, really, and 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 just how we can be involved. And so I think it's pretty inspirational. So we'll look out for those every Thursday. Um, so it's svc.org.nz slash transmission, um, and you can get all of the sermons and all of the background to the things that we've done. So we're doing five weeks, and there are three missionary journeys, and we'll take you through those as we go. And so if you want to read the Bible, if you don't have anything you're particularly reading at the moment, Acts 13 to 20 is where we're at in for these five weeks. And as Janelle said before, we're going to take out a week next week because Peter Fitch is in town. So again, I just want to really encourage you to be here, come morning, come night, come both, um, because he is, he's a great mind um, and he's a very compassionate man. So between that, is, he's, just a, he's just somebody who's worth listening to. And so today, um, morning and afternoon, morning and evening, we're doing Paul's second missionary journey. So Janelle this morning talked about the first part of that missionary journey. And um, from here, I'm going to take us into, if you've got Bibles, into Acts chapter 17. Um, and if you have lots of different apps, we're going to be reading mainly in the message um, tonight. So you might like to grab the message. If not, you can kind of um, just uh, go along with us. So last week we talked about the first Paul's first missionary journey. Um, and it started off, remember, in Antioch. And they went down, and it goes basically clockwise down to Seleucia, into Cyprus. Um, maybe you'll recognize this from geography in school or something like that. So the Mediterranean, Italy, Greece, um, and what we call Turkey. In the Bible, it's often called Asia Minor. So that's the sort of the area that they looked at. And you'll see in the second journey, um, it was uh, expanded an, an awful lot. Um, and this time it goes, um, it, it actually goes anti-clockwise. So it goes from Jerusalem in the bottom um, and moves up to Antioch and through into Asia Minor, as you might see it in your Bible, over to Troas. And, and Janelle today took us to that Philippi or Philippi 
um, which is in Greece, modern-day Greece, um, still, still there, um, and uh, still a city in action. And she talked us through maybe uh, quite a lot, but, but you might recognize the Paul and Silas in the jail story. So if you missed that this morning, um, watch it on our Facebook live feed, or it will be on our website on Tuesday just to listen to it, do the audio. So, yes, so first missionary journey, and then the second missionary journey. And the second missionary journey, it's about 49 to 51 AD. Um, the first one had taken place. And in between the first, which was Acts 13 and 14 that we looked at last week, there's Acts 15, which essentially is a thing we call the Jerusalem Council. In the Jerusalem Council, what happened is there was, there was a lot of controversy around if you became a Christian, did you also need to become a Jew? Um, and a, a lot of it was built around um, uh, the act of circumcision. And there was this this, this big... Um, sort of theological discussion as to what you needed to do if a Gentile or a non-Jew was to become a Christian. And the conclusion was, and Peter stood up and in and, and quite, a, quite a formative um, statement said, no, this is not the case. And it was, a, it was perhaps the earliest we have in the scripture of this thing is by faith and grace, not by works. And so he stood strongly on that. And that plays itself out even in this missionary journey as we may get to as we go. So, so Paul also in between the first and second missionary journey wrote the book of Galatians. So um, Galatia is, you'll see up there, you know, kind of inland modern day Turkey. And then at the end of that, he asks Barnabas, who is in with his first missionary journey, he asks him, he says, why don't we go and visit all of those churches again? And you have this fantastic fight that takes place between Paul and Barnabas, because there's a guy called John who had abandoned them in the first journey, and um, and and uh, Barnabas wants to take John with them, give him a second chance. Paul's really hardline. They end up splitting up, and two missionary journeys happen. And so Barnabas and John go to Cyprus, and Paul and um, Silas... Head, head north up there and, and on around to where we are. So that brings us to where we are. And, and um, the first part of that missionary journey, as I say, um, in Janelle's um, message for today. And so we come to Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to read you two reasonably lengthy chunks um, of Acts 17. We're going to read from verses 16 to 34 in the message. Um, so just uh, the message is very readable. So if you don't have it in front of you, just listen up and I'm sure that it'll be reasonably straightforward. So it says in verse 16, the longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All those idols, the city was a junkyard of idols, he discussed it with the Jews and other like-minded people at their meeting place, and every day he went out on the streets and talked with anyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicurean and Stoic intellectuals pretty well through those conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm. What an airhead. I'm sure that doesn't translate that well, but what an airhead. But others listening to him go on about Jesus and the resurrection were intrigued. This is a new slant on the gods, they said. Tell us more. So this is quite division just even over the message. Verse 19, these people got together and asked him to make a public presentation over at the Areopagus where things were a little quieter. They said, this is a new one on us. We've never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this anyway? Explain it so we can understand. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There were always people hanging around, natives and tourists alike, waiting for the latest tidbit on almost anything. Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus 
and laid it out for them. So this is the Areopagus here in the foreground here. So it's, it's the, I, I've actually been there. It's, it's one of those sort of the gnarliest, it's kind of like the face of the moon type rock. It's really hard. It's really strange. And it, and it just seems to be an incredible sort of place for Paul to have taken this. With the Acropolis, which is sort of like a defended hill, there are Acropolises all over, all over the place in that part of the world. And this is where he did it. It was where the Council of Jerusalem met, so they would often be there to debate the various things that were happening. So Paul goes out. Sometimes it's called Mars Hill. You will have heard of it. So that's the Areopagus. And he said, it's plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed to the God nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to this God so you can worship intelligently, know who you're dealing with. So in, um, in uh, 1820 in Rome, so not in Athens, but in Rome, they unearthed this um, statue, if you like, or, or um, a shrine it might have been, and on it in Latin is written to the unknown God. So it's probably in various places, and I think it's an important part of Paul's story, that Paul was picking up on some, some of the things that they knew and adding what he knew about Jesus being indeed that God. And we see it as we move on in there. So, so it may have been something like this, but certainly it wasn't a, a, an uncommon thing for them to be seeking something more than they knew from the gods that they had. And then um, Raphael in the, um, in the uh, uh, Renaissance painted this rather sort of glorified picture, um, idealized picture of Paul preaching on this Mars Hill, um, you know, with, with um, sort of the sense of the, the Epicureans and the Stoics listening to him. And so there's sort of some, some, some of it's in the scriptures there, some of it's just the way that we have sort of um, adapted to it over the last 2,000 years. So getting to verse 24, and this is Paul's more or less his preaching from here. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land, he doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable, with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him, can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well, we're the God created. Well, we are, if we are God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think we would hire a sculptor to chisel out a God of stone for us, does it? God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better. But that time is past. The unknown is now known, and he's calling for a radical life change. He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And he has already appointed the judge, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. At the phrase, raising him from the dead, the listeners split. Some laughed at him and walked off making jokes. Others said, Let's do this again. We want to hear more. But that was it for the day, and Paul left. There were still others, it turned out, who were convinced then and there and stuck with Paul, among them Dionysius the Areopagite and the woman named Damaris. And that comes to the end of Acts 17. And if you go on from there, remember from our, um, from our map, he goes on to Corinth, um, to Ephesus, 
uh, and and eventually comes back to Jerusalem. So it's sort of there's still some more of the um, story to go, I think, to about 1822, and you can follow that through if you like. Um, so it's most unlikely that this is his whole speech, his whole sermon. Um, Paul once in Acts chapter 20, if you read, he preached all night, and this poor young guy called Eutychus fell out the window and died, and they had to pray for him, and he was, and he was brought back to life again. So Paul never did two-minute sermons. He never did three-minute sermons or something like that. But there was a Greek you know, sort of way that they would summarize what has been said. And so this is the essence, probably, of the things that Paul said at that time. And I think the, you know, the idea when we're sort of looking at this and we're very much talking about, so how can we pick this up and follow is not so much to look at, you know, so what did he say and what was the order, but what does it mean to us? And so I've got some thoughts tonight that I want to share and, and hopefully these are applicable to us as we do go into the week. So my first thought is this, the message always stays the same. We'll come back to what the message is. What is the message that we've really got? But the method by nature, by, by just common sense in some ways, will always have to change when we're, when we're sharing something of the faith. So until now, remember, remember how he went up into that area of Turkey? Until now, he's been in, in, in um, places that there is a big Jewish presence. So there is a Jewish presence in Athens, but, but where, there's a, where there's a predominant Jewish presence. And so he's speaking in synagogues, and he's taking in the method that he uses to Jews who know, you know our Old Testament, and he takes it and explains Jesus from there. He's also talking in Roman-held areas, and so he is having to deal with you know, people who are under persecution, under foreign occupation, if you like. But then he gets across, and, and Philippi in Greece, that's a Roman territory, but he comes down into Athens, and all of a sudden, he is in an area that is uh, heavily influenced by sort of the orig- origination five, six, seven hundred years before of Greek rational thought, of which we're still a part today, significantly still affected by today. So you will have heard of people like uh, Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and Pliny. Um, these sorts of guys were around about 500 years BC, and they were changing the world, changing the, particularly the Western world and Western thinking, as I say, right through to today. And so, you know, perhaps the, the thing that we would most remember about that period of time is that they gave us democracy, or democracy as we know it today. And so there was a, there was a time at which at that time, um, so men over th- free men over 30 years old were able to vote. This, this had never been done before, and we sort of we can see the cascading of democracy since then that we hold very, you know, kind of very dear. And so this was happening, and Paul was arriving into something different. And so it's a different group, a different challenge, a different, um, I don't know, approach that was needed, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So it's a different challenge that we have in sharing the message, whatever the message is, um, for someone who actually has read the Bible or somebody who's never heard of the Bible. Somebody knows about Jesus, somebody's never heard of Jesus. Somebody who's warm and wants to hear, somebody who's hostile and angry. And so Paul slots into working with what's there. And so what does he work with? He's working with Epicureans. Epicureans were, um, they had this theory of God, of God the gods, because it wasn't only one God, the gods being a long way off and remote and distant, little or no communication, and you got on with your life as best you could and lived out sort of a, a calm and sedated existence. That's, that's what they were arguing for, quite intellectually, because they were arguing in the, on the Areopagus there. 
Uh, and then the Stoics, um, who, who, who are also mentioned here, they felt like divinity was somehow uh, in the world as it was and somehow even inside us, but it was never a personal thing. It was sort of like a divine force. And they had this whole idea of virtue, and virtue was sort of doing right, and you could get in touch with your, your inner divine rationality, which is a very Greek way of thinking, and you could outwork it like that. And so, so it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to think, to well, who am I relating to? And one size doesn't fit all. And we see as Paul begins to address the people of Athens that he is using this different way of, of being. So all of which is to say, you know, kind of when you go to university this week or when you go to, um, you know, your workplace or within your family this week, there is a, there is a need for us to know something of the, of the situation and the conditions that we go into. So what is the message? What is this message? What is the, the unifying message that would go from, you know, back in Paul's day? Because we're definitely not going to argue on Mars Hill with um, Stoics and, and Epicureans, you know, in this week. And I want to I contend that the message, the, the, the crucial message that we have is that Jesus is alive. And Paul talks about the resurrection wherever he goes, to the Jews, to the Romans, to the Greeks. He talks about the resurrection because this is the real key, that God is not stone, not made of stone, but he's raised from the dead. And I talked last week in the morning um, about the importance of resurrection and the importance of ascension because this is the things that Paul is doing. So it's not circumcision, going back to Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council. That's a, that's a sidetrack, you know. That's not, a, that's not essential. It's not a particular, I don't know, for us today, denomination or church or a way of style, you know, kind of a style of service or something like that. It's not a particular theology, but it's, but it's Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus. That is what we have or what has been revealed to us from God that is completely different from anything else. It's not about us at all, we discover, but it's all about God and Jesus, and not anything we can do. An important thing for us to know, and an important thing for us to be aware of. So the author Brian Zahn talks about the crucifixion and the resurrection. He talks the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which attains, in retrospect, an eternal glory and beauty through the resurrection, is the axis of Christianity around which everything else revolves. So this is the axis. This is what we what we have in our mind is a really important thing. Three weeks ago, I think, on, on the 12th of May, I, I think I preached morning and night that day on what remains. And, and my, my conclusion is what remains? What remains is Jesus and him crucified and love. Those are the things that at the end of the day, when you strip everything else that we do, that's the things that's got to remain. So what is the message that Jesus is alive, I think, is the message. And I think from there we kind of pull out to what I've actually made as the title of my message tonight because I just, I'm just so drawn to this that he is closer than we think. He is so close and so much closer than we think. And I just think this, the missionary journeys are such a hopeful message to us and to those that we know, but to us as well even to us, because sometimes we think this is a, an inspiration to go and tell others, which of course it is. But there's such a, such a wonderful message for us. And so it says God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, well, your own poets, we are his offspring. And I want you to think a little, and we're going to come back at the end. Um, and we're going we're gonna to pray into this thing of God being closer than we think. 
into whatever place in our life that we are, that God is closer than we could ever think or believe, and what a wonderful freedom and what a wonderful truth that is. Um, so so keep, keep that in the back of your mind. I love these quotes, for in him we live and move and have our being. You know, if, you were to, if I was to do a pop quiz and say, where do you think that would come from? I think most of us, if we would look at that, we would think it would probably came from the Old Testament, maybe from the Psalms or maybe from Isaiah. And a, lot of, a lot of quotes in the New Testament do come from the Old Testament. But I, I love this. Paul, this is actually from a guy called Epinomedes of Crete. And he lived in the 7th or 6th, he's a bit of a, you know, kind of a, hard to know whether he's an actually a semi-mythical sort of guy. And the story of Epinomedes is this, he was in a cave and he was put to sleep by Zeus. So Zeus being sort of the god of, um, the, god of uh, the sky and, and, and the god of all gods in a way. Um, and um, he was put to sleep in a cave for 57 years and he came out of the cave with a gift of prophecy. And I love it in the context of this. It's like you wouldn't think Paul would quote this kind of Greek god, who Greek um, um, sort of mythical god, about some sort of truth that he's bringing to him. And yet he brings this, and it becomes our scriptures, which is a fascinating thing. And then um, you know, kind of as your poets have said, we are his offspring. And of course, you know, in a in a strict religious, you know, you've got to pray a particular prayer. They were not his offspring at all because this was a this was a third century BC poet called Aratus, um, and and all of his works have gone except for this particular one, um, which is called the the Phenomena. And um, it's this thing on the constellations and the weather patterns and this amazing sense of there's got to be something bigger than this that creates all those things. And he says, whoever this is, we are his offspring. And Paul comes in and says, I want to tell you who he is. Because you know, you know, in theory that there's something bigger than this, but we are his offspring. And, um, and, he, and he gives this an incredible sense of sort of, um, I don't know, substance, this thing that's going around. And so Tom Wright talks about sensing a presence, a divinity, but not really knowing what to do about it or why. And I do wonder, you know, often as we, we tend to treat the people perhaps that we are trying to say something of the life that Jesus has given us as being completely wrong and we're completely right. And yet this message sort of says they're on a journey as well. They have something in, even in their story that we can add to rather than replace necessarily. And I think it's so, so compelling and so inviting for us. And so our message is that God not only can be known, but he wants to be known. And it's a message which goes well beyond Greek philosophy or modernism or postmodernism or wherever we're at today or wherever you find yourself in um, your particular um, scenario today, that God doesn't play hide-and-seek, that he's not remote, but he is near, which is this incredible gift that he has for us. And, you know, that nearness of God leads towards something that, that I'll kind of bring us to an end in. It leads towards an invitation, a call, a challenge even, to a radical life change. Because although, you know, kind of he is near and he's, he's near even in our, uh, I, I don't know, our lack of understanding of who he is and how, how great and wonderful he is, he's nevertheless calling us near so that in love we can, we will change, we will grow, we will develop, we will start to, to, to live a life that's reflective of who he is. And so Paul, as we've read, 
talks about, or, or Luke the writer talks about, the unknown is now known, and he's calling for a radical life change. He's set a date when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right, and he has already appointed the judge, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. And in the NIV, if you read that, it says, and God commands everyone everywhere to repent. So it's, it's from this revelation of this close God that comes, well, how could I live the way that I did when I get to meet this God who's been, who's been touched on in history, who's been, who's been tantalizing but so close but so elusive in another sense, and now I get to meet Jesus and the opportunity to be in a relationship with him and, 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 um, and to have contact with the God who created us is an invitation to live a life. And that's what love does, doesn't it? You know, that's what love, the, the sacrifice of love, you know, kind of, I don't know, the sacrifice of, I don't know, dying for your country or something in a war or the sacrifice of, you know, going to war with a team that you might be part of. No, no, not, not literal war in that sense, but, you know, kind of, you know, band of brothers type thing or, or, or the teamwork. Or, of course, you know, love within a family and the sacrifice we make for a family or a marriage or whatever it might be. Those are the things that we can relate to, but it's an invitation of this loving God to, to come into right relationship with him. And of course, for the one who loved us first and for whom we love back, we would want our lives to change. And so that's at the heart, in a sense, of a call to commitment, a call to sacrifice, a, a, a call to, to live a life that is worthy of the things that God has done for us. And so Paul gets to, gets to share this amazing news of what Jesus has done, building on what they know already, not, not denigrating what they know already, but inviting them into a whole new relationship. And so, too, he does it for us. And I think it's an inspiration, really, for us as we go out. We can meet people where they're at, and we can share the things that we know, and we can grow and work in operation with them. And so with that, I would love for you to stand. And I'm going to invite the God who is near to come and visit us. So, you know, um, uh, this might be a, um, a, a, a breathtaking moment for you or it might be a scary moment for you. Don't be frightened because the God who is near and loves us is well able to look after us even in this process. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray. We're going to have a bit of silence as we go. And I'm just going to invite God to come. And I'm, I'll, I'll probably name some things as I, as, I, as I feel that God leads. You know, I won't, I won't pinpoint anyone, pick anybody out, so there's not going to be anybody, you know, kind of embarrassed or anything like that. But let's invite the God who is near to draw close to us now. So you might like to close your eyes because that just shuts out a little bit of peripheral sort of stimulation, I suppose, that could distract us. So Jesus, we come to you as people who have met or who want to meet the unknown God. We have people who have a sense that, that we are his children and wanting to draw closer yet. And Lord, we're drawn to the idea that you are closer than we think. You know, I think we can often, you know, we can almost um, outwork sort of a, a theoretical belief. 
by actually, you know, moving towards, you know, kind of just internally, but moving towards the God who invites us and the God who draws us. And so what I want you to do is just just to think about the things that are most prominent in your heart and in your life at the moment. I wonder maybe for some people, and this is definitely for me, have you been waking up this week with a particular thing on your mind? That would be sort of, it would be quite a, um, that would be quite revealing. Um, you know, it, it might be a worry or it might be a thrill, it might be an excitement. You know, it could go either way perhaps. And would you walk with that? You know, this towards the God who is closer than we think and invite his presence. And, and invite him into to the problem or to the or to the anticipation just walk towards him because he's closer than we think well do you tonight have a you know have a thing that's somehow crippling you you know, a, a, a physical illness, perhaps. Um, you know, a fear that dogs you and maybe has dogged you for a long time. You know, something that you know just hangs over your life. Well, would you walk towards a God who is near? Not a God who is far, like the Epicureans thought, or not a God who is... Um, present but not interested like the Stoics thought but a God who is near and would you walk towards that and who knows what he might do would he heal you well maybe he would but maybe he would walk with you and maybe he would be in that situation with you because he is a God who is near Once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.